yes, this this uh, is a is a subject uh, dear to my heart. Uh, preparing for your pet's end of life, uh, because uh, it was not that long ago, uh, probably a year and a half now. Uh, still, still feels raw some days. Um, our two beloved feline daughters. Um, uh, in the same year passed, Isis and Zena. Uh, Isis went first in January, followed by Zena, uh, I believe in September or August. And uh, it was a very difficult time, and so many things go through your mind, you know. Uh, you know, is it time to let them go? You know, what do you do to make them comfortable? Uh, you're worried about them, but, you know, you, uh, you know, as the caretaker, you know, you're also going through this incredible stress as well. So uh, when I heard that there was such a thing as a death doula, uh, which Ute is, um, she's a holistic pet death doula, uh, and uh, she particularly focuses on the end of your pet's life. Uh, you know, it's not a pleasant subject, but it's a necessary, helpful, practical subject. Uh, so I thought I would bring that to you listeners out there because I know for many of us, uh, our pets are our companions, they're our children, uh, they're our beloveds, and uh, in many cases we may feel more for them uh, than humans in our family or, you know, humans that we know. Uh, so this is, you know, isn't a frivolous subject by any means. This is a very important subject. So uh, let me say welcome to Ute. Ute, thank you for being with us today. You are so welcome. I'm thrilled that I can be on the show with you, Karen. Thank you. Well, um, how did you, um, you know, how did, did your work with Animal Star, Dute? Well, I have a hobby, and my hobby are senior pets, and I cannot explain why that is. But throughout my life, I have taken in usually the elderly, and then I gave them a makeover, and I was with them through the end of their life and you know I know I know a lot of people love kittens and puppies and so do I by the way but I think there's something really really special when I can take in a cat or a dog or when I can take care of a horse who already has some life experience and maybe was abandoned or or brought to a shelter or what have you and then I can be with them and I can support them and they also can teach me a lot of things about aging and how to be graceful and how to surrender to this process because I feel animals, you know, they don't argue as much as we do. We, do, we call our girlfriends. We complain to our partners. And our animals, they are just more surrendered to the natural processes of ages and aging and dying. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, I, I, I think so, you know, and it's not that they aren't a, a sentient being or anything, um, but, um, you know, you know, I, I, I think maybe it's, it's hard to language it, but it's like they or they accept the cycle of life where I guess humans with our ego, um, it's a little bit more difficult. Maybe it's a little bit more layered and complicated for us. Yes. I, you know, it is not, not complicated for animals, but in my experience working with a lot of terminally ill pets, it's a little bit different. Would it be okay if I give some examples of what I'm talking about? 
Sure, sure, go right ahead. So obviously, you know, when we have companion animals, say cats or dogs, we are the ones who drive them to veterinary appointments. We call the veterinarian. We do whatever we do. We give medications. We take care of them. I find that our animals are so tuned into our own spiritual and emotional state that when I work intuitively with an animal towards the end of their life in particular, I don't just do that, but that's my main focus in, in the work that I'm doing, they are actually a lot more worried about us than about themselves. And that is something that I believe a lot of us highly underestimate. They want to do whatever they can for us not to fall apart, for our hearts not to break. Does, you know, and that means they hang around maybe longer than they would if they were in the wild. Or sometimes when we cannot stand the pain and say we make an appointment for euthanasia, some people euthanize the animals sooner than the animal might be ready for because they cannot tolerate the pain, the emotional, the deep, deep pain about losing a fur child. And a lot of pets go along and do whatever it is to soothe our aching hearts. And many of us are so preoccupied with our own emotions that it's sometimes very difficult to see what our animal, even when they are taking their last breath, are trying to do for us, how they are trying to accommodate us. I, I, I believe you, Ute, I really do. And for those listeners out there who might think, oh, gee, I don't know, maybe she's going to, you know, that's a bridge too far, let me say two things. Uh, before we had Isis and Xena, we had a beautiful tortoiseshell. Uh, we, we called her Kitty, uh, Kitty Tate. Uh, we actually ended up get, getting a memorial engraved to her, a brick on a wall. Uh, anyway, we had her for a really long time, and... Um, uh, the day she had cancer and um, she was getting to the point where she couldn't eat and uh, she was suffering and, you know, she had a, a, a rock-hard tumor in her stomach. And, uh, I mean, I was just, uh, you know, I was, I was broken up the day that we had to bring her, uh, you know, to the vet to be, you know, uh, you know, to get that final injection. And I'm, you know, riding down the elevator. My husband's holding her carrier, and I'm just sobbing. And she reaches out of the carrier, reaches her little paw out of the carrier to me. And, and, and you know, and I think it's what you just said. You know, she was trying to soothe me. She was trying to say it was okay. And um, I mentioned Isis and Zena. Um, Isis got sick unexpectedly, unexpectedly. I mean, it was just a, uh, it seemed like it was a very quick thing with her. And uh, where Zena had been the sick one, we had to uh, give her, um, uh, you know, the, oh, I forget what they're called now. She had kidney disease, and we had to give her, I think it's called isolated ringers or something. You, you know, you give the liquid, uh, you know, through the needle under the skin. We had been doing that with her for probably three or four years. And if anyone was going to go first, we thought it was going to be her. But I really feel like she stayed around an extra few months to help us through ISIS's passing. And, um, 
and I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I, there's more I could say, but uh, I, I guess I don't feel like I'm up to it, to tell you the truth. But I'm trying to validate what you're saying, that I do believe you. Um, I, 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 exactly what you said. I think they, uh, they think more about us than maybe their own passing. And, it, and, you know, maybe it's because they're just not afraid. Most of them don't seem to be afraid. You know, and I'm very careful to make generalizations here. It is when we are in the thick of it, in our very, very close relationship, it's very hard to discern for us what is my pain and what is the pain of my cat or my dog. And that, you know, I see a lot of people underestimate the physical discomfort because cats and dogs by nature are designed to hide it. You know, in the wild you don't call your girlfriend and complain about a headache. You get really quiet. That's how you survive, right? So I see people underestimate the physical discomfort of the animals, and I see the helicopter pet parents. I can be one of them, by the way. I'm not beyond that, right? Who say, oh, my God, oh, my God, what is going on now? But most importantly, it is a challenge to discern what is my emotional pain and what is actually going on between me and my beloved pet. And that's really, really complex. I, you know, if I were to design a bumper sticker ever, I would say there, is, there are two big events in life. One is birth and one is death. And that brings out everything in us. And birth labor and death labor are also very similar in some ways. And I often say the real stuff for us surfaces when there is a birth or a death. And everything in between can be entertainment or drama. And I don't mean to poo-poo life, but a lot of us experience a lot of things that are not directly related to our animal dying, but other things that are hurting us, that, that we are aching from. And I say to my clients, get support, but also this is a sacred opportunity for you. It's a sacred threshold that you are going to go through with your pets, and it's a sacred threshold for your own soul to go deeper in your spiritual and emotional exploration. It's a tremendous well said. Well, tremendous. Well, and and I think it's a, you know one of the reasons. I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. You know, one of the reasons I think it's so hard um, is because they can't speak to us. You know, we want to be responsible. We don't want them to suffer. And it, I think sometimes it's really hard to know. Um, you know, if they are. Suffering, And, you know, the last thing you want is that, you know, you don't want to drag it on longer than necessary, especially if the end is inevitable. Um, you know, uh, so I, I think, that, you know, that's part of it. And, you know, we all aren't um, expert at listening in to know, um, you know, when it, when it's time, you know, um, or the vet will say to you, you know, like they said, to us in the case of ISIS, um, you don't want to take her home. You want to do this now because the end would be, would, 
you know, would not be pleasant for her or for you. It's best if, you know, we, you know, we end it calmly, serenely, um, you know, rather than have her have to go through what the, you know, what the last stages of this would look like, uh, feel like. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts about that. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about that. First of all, I would like to introduce the concept of getting quiet with your pet, which is, you know, pet hospice. I had two big dogs that are hauled around here in my house. It's not just noble, it's also exhausting. But I want to suggest to each person who is listening to this, try to find a few minutes each day to get quiet with your pet. To, you know, we don't have to call it anything. We can call it prayer, meditation. I don't care what it is. Just get quiet and don't, you know, don't watch TV, don't read a book. Just be there. You know, lie on the bed. Be near them and try to tune in on a little bit of a deeper level. And there is this idea, and it's not entirely wrong, that we are in charge of the entire process. And granted, you know, in a case of euthanasia versus natural dying process, we are externally speaking in charge. I firmly believe, though, that in underneath all of that, it can be a partnership between us and our animals. They don't think like we do. They don't speak English like we do or any other language. But in a lot of cases, I find we can team up with our pet. And it can be on an, on an intuitive level. It can be instinctual. And just making the assumption we are doing this together. I make the calls. I make the arrangements. Whatever it is, we are doing this together. Sounds easier said than done. There are days when that might be something you can actually experience. And then there are other days when that's not possible. There are myths out there. For example, they, they are ready to die when they stop eating. I have to say that is sometimes true and sometimes it's not. Or you will know. That is sometimes true and sometimes not. The you will know is such an absolute statement, like there is that day and it's clear. I've had situations where it was the case, and I've had situations where we have good days and bad days. It's a roller coaster, right? So my right. two of my dogs, they ate on their deathbed. They still ate. And, they, you know, they didn't eat like a big all-you-can-eat buffet dinner, but they, they took treats from me, right? And I gave them treats when they were sedated. And other pets stopped eating altogether. So I would like to invite anybody out there to really, you know, we listen to the experts, and in the end, it can be a very sacred, quiet agreement between you and your pet. And the agreement can be, you know what? This is, it's not getting better. What do you think, Fluffy? Shall we choose a day together? You know, and also, regardless of, you know, and then there's this other extreme, let me just elaborate on that, where people say to me, Ute, just when you communicate with them, when I'm hired as an animal communicator, tell them to die in their sleep. 
And A, I don't have that power. And B, oh, do we all wish that would happen so we wouldn't have to face the agony of not being so certain in many cases, right? And regardless regardless of how the arrangement unfolds, in most cases, it's probably euthanasia because that's the prevalent model and that's what is. I still want to urge people to eliminate the, some of their vocabulary around putting their pet down. I think it's a very arrogant way of talking. You know, and even if we have a scheduled death appointment, be it in our home, be it with a trusted veterinarian at their office, we are we are accompanying some someone else in the dying process. I don't put anyone down. I would never say that about a relative, a human relative who is is in a senior citizen home. I would never ever say that. So, whoever is listening, please consider this the thought the thought that in the end you can work as a team. And it's the most selfless and loving gesture you can exhibit towards your animal to say, we are a team. I do whatever I can for you to not be in discomfort. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can remember, you know, uh, because it, it, uh, you know, when Zena was in her final uh, weeks and days, uh, was different than Isis. As I said, Isis's death came on us very suddenly. Um, and I could, you know, you could kind of watch the transition, you know. Um, you know, at first, uh, you know, they kind of separate themselves and maybe, you know, they don't eat as much or, but I could tell it, it was it was touching at the end because I felt like, um, she was trying to, um, how should I say, uh, you know, be with me at the end, but we both knew it was the end. You know, she would come up and lay by me in bed. She would come sit by me on the chair, you know, for just a little while. And then she would, you know, go back to her place, you know, a, sort of detached from the family. And um, it just uh, you know, it, it, and I, I would kind of tune into her, and I would, I would think, you know, um, you know, are we going to have another day together? You know, and we did that for a couple weeks, and it was funny. You know, I guess you could call it intuition, but there came a day when it didn't feel like we're going to have another, uh, we're going to have another day together. It, it got to the point where whatever. That, that silent communication that was happening between us, um, I, I feel like we came to the decision that it, you know, there wasn't going to be another day, and, and, and we were at the end. Yes. Yes. And I wanted to comment also on that. I can feel your emotion, Karen. I totally feel your emotions. That I yet I have to yet meet someone who doesn't second guess themselves, myself included. Is it right? Am I am I am I doing right by this animal that I love so so much? And 
You know, I had it sometimes up to the very, very last moment. And when I remember how my dog or my cat has made me a better person, and I can say thank you. Thank you so, so much. I don't even know how I lived before you came to me. Right? And, (laughs) you know, and what is happening now, what I feel from you, I call liquid love. I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't think I would be so, um, so still so emotional about this. But um, thank. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's probably a good uh, label for it. I mean, it feels that way. And uh, and they do teach us so much. I mean, I I really do. I, I had an incredible dream the night after Zena passed, and um, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. But I felt like it. Um, I had a complicated relationship with my mother, and I felt that she helped heal that. You know, she helped give me some perspective about some things that had been nagging at me for a good long time. And, um, I mean, aside from the love she gave us for 20 years and her passing, she helped me through something that, um, you know, I hadn't been able to reconcile for a very long time. And it's amazing. I mean, it's just truly amazing what these creatures uh, can do for us. Yes. Yes. And that's why I love what I'm privileged to do, really. Okay. Um, so Ute, is this is this the um, is, is this the main focus of your work uh, with the terminally ill pets, or um, it, or is that just a part of it? It is the main focus, and another focus is chronic illness, which isn't terminal yet. So I work with a lot of animals remotely with pain relief and coach the people also through that. And to a lesser extent, I also work with very fearful animals. Um, so it's, the hierarchy is end of life, chronic illness, fearful behavior. Okay. I started with, and, um, I started with fearful be- Go ahead. Go ahead. It, no, no. Finish. You said you started with. Um, I, I started with fearful behavior. Anybody who looks at my website will see the story about my pit bull Shiva. So he was the scariest pit bull poster child of I'm afraid to live that I've ever encountered. So I had to work with his fears because he didn't want to leave the house, and he was already a middle-aged, scarred, gray-muzzled, beautiful blockhead. And then he became sick, and I could journey with him into that part of his life. So I think in terms of educating people and doing workshops and and things like that, my, my biggest chunk of work is evolving around educating people about the end of life and, you know, what can we do beyond the existing paradigm of medication and euthanasia and again I want to be really clear I'm not against it at all I just think it can be a much richer experience that's my mission to really bring that 
across and also gently encourage people to think in terms of being a partner of their animal and vice versa. You know, our cats don't have a driver's license. My dogs do not either. But I, I look at them. They're my teammates. We are on the same team here. Okay. Um, well, we're going to take a little break right now, Ute, and when we come back, um, I want to get into some of your uh, client stories, and uh, I want to ask you uh, if uh, you believe pets grieve, you know, like if you have more than yeah. one pet in the household yeah. and, yeah. and one passes. Yeah. Uh, I, want to, I want to chat about that with you a little bit, and um, uh you know, and, and, and maybe if you do work with people or pets uh, after their death. So um, that's what we'll come back to um, after this uh, word from Joe Carson. Uh, here's a clip from the trailer for Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example... The info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com. Dancing with Gaia, definitely one for your library, uh, is available only at dancingwithgaia.com. So I am chatting with uh, Ute Lupertz. Uh, she's a holistic healing coach for pets and a senior pet specialist, uh, and we're discussing how to prepare for the end of your pet's life. And um, she's also, uh, she calls herself a holistic uh, pet death doula. And uh, Ute, uh, before uh, the Joe Carson commercial, we said uh, we were going to come back and chat about uh, if um, if pets grieve. Um, could you uh, you know give me your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm happy to. So yes, 
that's the short answer, and it varies depending on their relationship to each other. But yes, they grieve when they are very bonded to one another. So in my house, I can give you some pretty straightforward examples. So first of all, let me backtrack a little bit. There are grief, natural grief remedies that people use. And if you use any flower essences, for example, you can also give them to your animals. So there are remedies that can soothe the abyss, you know, the black hole. And so when you have a pet die and there is any opportunity to do this, have the other animals be there, and that doesn't mean they display things very openly. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. In my house, my cats survived so many dogs. And they were like, yeah, we know what's going on. We were worshipped in ancient Egypt. So for them, it was like, oh, well, what's the big whoop? For the dogs, it was a much, much bigger deal. And um, I have currently, I have uh, two dogs here. And Pablo, a few years ago, lost his dog idol, my dog, Toddy. And when Toddy died, and Toddy was so sick, I kept his body overnight in my house before I brought him to the cremation place. Um, and Toddy smelled like a dead body very quickly because he had very advanced cancer, even though we wrapped him in a shroud and we did all kinds of beautiful things and we had flowers and this and that. So long story short, my little Pablo sat next to his dead brother for the entire night waiting for him to get up. And I... um, I treat my grieving survivors like I would treat a very young child. You know, so in my particular situation, and it's just an example of how I am willing to accommodate my own animals, with Pablo, he had the cats who were his good friends, but they were not the same. They were not his dog idol big brother who was suddenly gone, right? So what I did for Pablo is I, whenever I had to leave my house for more than two hours in a row, I had a rotating schedule of cuddle people. So a few, few people had a key to my house, and when nobody was in the house, someone came over after a few hours and sat with Pablo and petted him and talked to him and gave him a few treats, told him what a beautiful boy he is, and that got him through. So really think about things you can do for your surviving pets. It could be a bed that has the scent of the dead animal. It could be that you do special things with them. With dogs, it's a little easier to take them places, obviously, right? And just allow them to grieve, be there, acknowledge it. And acknowledging can be that you say it out loud or that you say, I get it, you're really quiet, watch them when they get more withdrawn, do something special, cook special food, do whatever it is you would do for a very young child that cannot intellectualize yet what the process is. So, and there are other situations where the animals are like, okay, we saw this coming, it's okay. Right, But to make assumptions that they don't have feelings or that they don't feel the change in the household, you bet they do. You know, and I, I know so many people who have animals that go looking 
for the missing brother or sisters that sit at the door that, you know, do all kinds of things. My cat, yeah. Whoopi, yeah. sat on my, one of my cats died naturally. Um, he just chose, he just doesn't want the vet to, to come over. And his cat mate, Moopy, she sat for 24 hours on the spot where he had taken his last breath. She held vigil, and I was, like, so touched by this, you know? So, yes, they grieve. Yeah. Yes, we need to honor that. Yes, we need to accommodate them. No, they will not become codependent. You don't have to do couples therapy with them. No, you don't. Okay. Um, would you uh, share maybe, well, I mean, you've told us some stories with your, you know, personal pets. Are there any uh, cases from your clients that maybe stand out, uh, you know, one or two you might like to share with listeners? Yes. I wanted to share one of my all-time favorite stories, and it's actually very funny. And it's an example of what can be when you have no idea about the person or the pet. And this was a woman who called me a number of years ago. She didn't know me. She hadn't used my services before. And she had a dying dog, an Akita. And she was very conscious, very aware. She had arranged for an in-home euthanasia a few days after the appointment with me. And she just wanted to know, am I doing right by my dog? Is my dog ready to die? And I'm like, okay, we can check this out. And mind you, I have never talked to this person before. So I tune into the dog. The dog has been ailing for a really, really long time. So it seems like, yeah, this is long, 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 was long in the making. And I'm tuning into the dog, and the dog shows me absolutely fine. I'm ready. You know, I think I talked to this person on a Thursday or Friday, and the euthanasia was scheduled for a Monday. And then the dog proceeds to show me images, and I'm sitting on the phone thinking, if I tell this woman what I'm seeing, she thinks I'm nuts. But I'm... (laughs) I'm a servant of the truth, so I have to get my own ego out of the way, and then I'm trying to say this very carefully. I said, listen, yes, you are doing right by your dog. She is ready and willing to cross the threshold, but forgive me for saying this. For some reason, she is showing me a beer keg and hot dogs, and the woman goes like, oh, and I said, you know, she has a few wishes. One of her wishes that she shows me is when you perform the actual euthanasia, don't get too somber. Just treat it as a sacred transition. So that was still okay-ish for me to say. And then I said, I don't know what it is, but what she is showing me is a picnic party with beer and hot dogs and spam and junk food. And she burst into laughter, this person on the phone, and says, funny that you would say this. We had plans for my sister to come out of town for a summer barbecue, but we were about to cancel it because my dog is dying. And she says, I guess we can do this after all. I said, yes, you can. So she says, oh, this is so fantastic. My sister wanted to see her, but we were worried it would be too much for my dog. Long story short, They had a beautiful summer party the Sunday before her dog died with beer, 
with hot dogs, with barbecue, and with spam. And she sent me an email, uh, I think a week or two later, and she said it was absolutely beautiful. We had a party. We had a beautiful euthanasia ceremony the day after. And she had taken a photo of her dog chewing up a can of Spam. That, to (laughs) me, was more beautiful than anything. So her dog got them to celebrate. Her dog got them to laugh and rejoice a life well lived. And believe you me, I was a little... I was a little embarrassed, but I thought, you know what? There must be a reason, even if I don't know why. So that is one of the stories, you know, where she was in sync with her dog. And the dog said, people, don't be so serious. This can be a celebration. Right? Right, right. Yeah, just like we would do a memorial, uh, you know, uh, a celebration of of one's life instead of a a somber, tear-jerking funeral, you know. Uh, It's it's more of a celebration of life and a a celebration of the transition, like we would do a human. Yes, and she was willing to listen to that, you know, and it was just one of those, Interesting things because I really didn't know anything about this person. So that is one of the stories I like to share because it was just so amazing and how she was opening up to this, the person that is. And her dog was just so serene and so peaceful. This is really beautiful. And another story is one of my all-time favorite cats. I call him the International Man of Mystery. His name was Kiwi, and um, he lived in London. And his person uh, contacted me a while ago. I mean, this was he died. Wait a minute. So she contacted me during a time he was diagnosed with uh, lymphoma, and she wanted to tune in with him. When is he ready to die? And this, I remember this was, I think, in October of 2017. She called me. She had heard about me from many, around many different angles, and, and she ends up on the phone with me. I tune in with him, and he's like, oh, no, I'm not ready to die yet. And I said to her, okay, you know, yes, the cancer is pretty advanced. He had it in his abdomen, and then it kept spreading. And then she said, so what can we do? And I said, we could see whether we could alleviate discomfort with remote Reiki sessions. And she said, great idea. She worked with a veterinarian at the time who really wanted to, quote, unquote, put him down and uh, was pushing a little bit. And she was worried, you know, because we listened to the experts. And I said, you know, if it doesn't feel right, you might want to get a second opinion, and in the meantime, I will just start doing remote work with him. This was in October, and our boy, Kiwi, I got photo updates, video updates, and I did Reiki late at night here, West Coast, USA time, which was early morning London time. Kiwi lived another six months, and I want to say really good months. And he got Reiki at least every other night. And she told me he would sit up in the wee hours of the morning. He would be 
zonked out on her bed, and then he would shoot up and sit upright when I was doing Reiki. I always send people email or text updates what I do when I do Reiki. And TV gave her six good months. And it was absolutely amazing. And it is another example, very different story. There wasn't anything quote-unquote funny, and we don't have to look for funny stories per se. But nobody expected him to live that long, and she chose a very drastic, traditional route of cancer treatment, uh, which was hard on his body, but he got right through it. And she enjoyed this, and she merged with him until she said, I cannot stand it anymore. And then he said, Mama, if you are in too much pain, I'm ready to go when you want me to. And it was so incredible of how she also was willing to open up to his teachings, you know, and his his late night cuddle sessions with her. And then she had to lift him up because he was too blown up from the cancer in his belly. And this was an, an state-of-the-art example of him calling the shots. And he actually wanted to die on his own. And she just said, I cannot do it. I said, listen, he loves you so much. Whatever you need to do, he will go along with it. And so it went. So you... So you've mentioned um, the flower remedies. You've mentioned the the remote Reiki. Are there any other things that we can do to sort of alleviate suffering in the it toward you know when we're nearing the end? Yes, it depends, of course, on the condition. You know, you mentioned like with kidney disease, subcutaneous fluids and such. I always say. Regard, I mean, I if I if I personally can, I use natural remedies. That being said, I have a whole arsenal of medications on my shelf just in case. And I say to people, see what works for your belief system. But if we have a, a chronic illness where we know it's the deterioration is, we cannot stop it. You might want to have a few emergency medications on the shelf, apart from what you re- what the regular regimes might be. You know, maybe some sedatives if there are restless nights. Maybe some extra strong pain medications. And that's just, I say, a maybe. Some people say, I would never do this. And I just say, I have this on my shelf if we have a really bad night and I cannot get a hold of anyone. So that's just an example of maybe having something ready before you get desperate. You know, that includes for me also that I have phone numbers of emergency clinics, late night clinics, whatever I need before I'm tearing my hair out, right? Right. The other thing is, so I'm for anything that alleviates discomfort as long as it doesn't violate my belief system and I also don't impose that on, onto my clients. And sometimes we forget things such as, say, a kidney cat. You know, animals can get really cold when they get weaker. 
So even, you know, pay attention. How do the gums look? How do the paws feel? Do they get cold? Do they need a heating pad? Do they need more separation if you have a busy household? You know, do they need more quiet time? Because, you know, dying is not easy. You have to separate to some extent from the body. And how can I accommodate that respectfully to make the body as comfortable as possible, maybe with some special bedding? I mean, it absolutely depends. You know, one of my dogs wanted to be in the yard. It it totally depends. And then there are stages stages of dying. So anybody who will contact me, I'm happy to send them a free document about the stages of dying if we have a diagnosis. Right. So what do I look for? Retreat time. They might not come anymore. They might not listen to their name anymore. And not just because they might be deaf, just because it's retreat time. It doesn't mean they love, love us any less. Right. And I think we might have a caller. Uh, let me just check in and see yep. if this is a question for you or if this is a listener. But hold that thought. Um, we want to make sure you get to it, um, you know, before we close the show. So don't forget what you were going to say. Uh, so just a minute here. Hi. Uh, I see you, caller, from the 917 area code. Did you have a question for Ute? Thank you. Just listening. Thank you. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you for thank you for calling in and uh, thank you for listening to the show. Thank you. Okay. So Ute, she was just listening, um, and and thanks you for this uh, information you're sharing. Um, so what was it you were about to say before I inter- uh, interrupted you about the you know, I, uh, prospective caller? Yes. What I was going to say. It's an overused word, but it's an underutilized modality. Think about self-care. Humans, think about self-care. Hospice can be exhausting. You might have to get up often. You might be woken up often. Think about self-care. Have food in the fridge. You know, whatever it is, get a massage. I don't, you know, there are so many examples, but self-care as much as possible. You know, recruit people to support and help you, your partner, your friends, your family. I find that if I ask for help for myself, I might get it. If I ask for help with my pets, I will get it. People love to help with animals. Does that make sense? Okay. It yeah. does. Yeah. And yeah. It, I mean, it, it absolutely does. You know, another thing that I want to mention, we are focusing here a lot on predictable diseases. You know, we have a diagnosis. There are other scenarios where you are, where you are encountering a sudden death. You know, a cat runs away, someone gets run over by a car or collapses because there was a tumor and we didn't know about it. So that's a very different scenario. And this is, again, a message for for humans. When you encounter a sudden death, you are not just dealing with grief. You are also dealing with shock. And in my experience with shock 
and greed. That's a very potent combination. Think long and hard what you can do to process that because that's not as easy as quote-unquote just grief. So very different scenario. Yeah, and and when it's sudden like that, I mean, you know, if your pet's been ill for a good long time, I think you're kind of emotionally preparing yourself for it. But when it's sudden, um, sometimes that's harder. You know, it's the pros and cons to long-term versus short-term passing, you know. Um, Yeah. Um, Well, Ute, um, I can't think of anything else I want to ask you, uh, but before I let you go, uh, is there anything else you believe is important um, for listeners uh, before we say goodnight? Yes, I would like to suggest a little meditation. And you don't have to do it for very long, but if you are in a situation where you're really worried about your animal or you know he, she is close to death, I want to suggest three questions that you can ask. And one is, how have you changed my life? Question one. Question two, how have you made me a better person? And question three, how have you been a divine messenger for me? Wow, those are great questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe last but not least, a quote from Tuesdays of Mori. Not my quote, but one of my favorite ones. Death ends a life and not a relationship. Death and life or not a relationship? No, death ends a life, but not a relationship. Oh, okay. That makes that makes much more sense. Okay, it's death and ends a life, not a relationship. Um, yeah, and I think that's that is so important for those of us uh, that have to go on after our beloved passes. Yeah. Yeah. And keep keep talking to them. You know, they can still hear you. That's a good reminder. Well, Ute, thank you. Um, And let me uh, give your website again. Uh, It is petspointofview.com, petspointofview.com. I don't know if you want me to uh, put out your phone number or not, Ute, uh, but I'm sure people can reach you from your website, uh, petspointofview.com, with dashes between the words uh, pets, point of view. Um, and if yes. anyone has trouble reaching Ute, uh, you know, if, they, if you don't have the email just right and it bounces back, uh, just get in touch with me and I'm happy to um, connect you. And uh, my new email address, which I've been given out uh, often over the last few months uh, since it's changed, is KarenTate108 at yahoo.com. Well, Ute, thank you. Uh, thank you for your work in the world. Uh, I, I think it, uh, I mean, it's, it's unique. 
uh, and it's so important. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know, I guess as I like to think that as we're trying to evolve as humans, um, this is just a little fragment of how we are trying to be better human beings. Um, you know, because I think they say, you know, how do you treat the least among you? How do you treat your pets? How do you treat your children? How do you treat the poor? Uh, you know, how do, how do you treat animals? You know, these are things I think that um, I help uh, identify the quality of human we are, if you will. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. All right, Ute. Well, thank you so much. Um, I, I sure appreciate you being on the show tonight. And uh, let's uh, let's keep in touch. And if anything comes up for you uh, in the future, uh, you feel like you want to share with listeners, uh, please don't hesitate to get back in touch, okay? Thank you so much for having me, Karen. I feel so honored. Thank you. Thank you, too. Well, uh, that about does it for me uh, tonight, dear listeners. And, uh, you know, my apologies for uh, my becoming so emotional. I didn't think I was uh, still that raw after uh, so long has passed. So I'm, I'm sorry if, if I made anyone uncomfortable. Um, I think um, to close tonight's show, I'll do it with a little bit of music here. Uh, the last couple shows I've been honoring uh, Isis and Sekhmet, and um, I want to also honor Kali. And I'm going to do it with this uh, music here from Diva Haley, Diva Haley. Um, so uh, for a few more minutes here, uh, stay comfortable. Um, and uh, have a listen to Kali by Diva Haley. Hail Kali.
Baby. 